In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. I'm wondering this morning if you have ever had one of those days where you just have this overwhelming feeling that everything is going really well. It's kind of like you're just kind of moving along and it's, and it's going really well. It's, you're productive, you're connected, you're in tune, and things feel really good. Maybe even a little bit too good, but you're so in tune that you're not really paying attention to that. And then something happens somewhere else, kind of out of nowhere. It could be at home with your spouse or at school with one of your kids, or maybe the new puppy pees on the floor and you step in it before you realize it, or somebody messes something up at work that you needed to rely on. Maybe there's three or four things that happen all at once and suddenly it feels like, well, it feels like things are starting to unravel around you even though you have no control over it. And you were minding your own business, having a really good day. And suddenly, that great mood, that great day you were having, that awesome productive flow you were in sort of melts away. Because someone you maybe took your eye off for one second went and did something that you didn't expect. And all of a sudden, all you can see and hear and feel is frustration and maybe anger and maybe some disappointment. Because something or someone has just totally ruined it for you. That is the kind of day that Moses is having. A few minutes before this, Moses was literally having the best day ever. He was up on the mountaintop with God, communing with God directly, getting to experience something that most humans never get to experience so intimately. God has just dictated the law, the Ten Commandments. That's the passage that we heard last week. And now just imagine that into the middle of this direct, special conversation with God comes this huge interruption. God has looked down on the people and all of a sudden God is angry, fiercely angry, because Israel has cast for themselves an idol. It's a powerful story. Israel is waiting for input from Moses and ultimately input from God and because they don't get it, they go ahead and do something else. And this story, I think, sometimes seems hard for us to connect to because we don't necessarily have parties around golden statues anymore. We don't pray and sing and dance around these things and hold hands and beat our chests and hope that a spirit or something will emerge from it to help us, to save us. So the traditional idea of an idol is a little hard for us to relate to. But if you think about it, an idol can be anything or anyone. It doesn't have to be a statue cast in gold or bronze. It can be an idea, a pattern, a ritual, a practice, a belief. It could be as simple as an obsession with sports or politics. Often it's money or power or privilege or wealth or some kind of status. Sometimes it's the way other people think about us. But it really could be anything in which we place our trust, anything that we cling to more tightly than our love of God. An idol for our purposes is anything that stands between us and the God who loves us. Anything that we love more or that we elevate to the place where God should be in our lives. Something that distracts us from our first priority, which is love of God, and from our second priority, which is love of neighbor. This morning in the epistle, St. Paul is writing to a community of faith that he loves. 
So much of the Apostle Paul's writing is the wrangling of faith communities from afar. And if you know his writing, you know that he is often not gentle. He gets right into the middle of conflict, tells people what to do, is often fairly offensive, uses strong language, especially when he writes to the Galatians and calls them, you foolish Galatians. Imagine getting a letter like that from your priest or pastor after you haven't heard from them in months and months, and that actually calls you names like that. Paul is not a soft figure, and when he is arguing for Jesus, he is loving, but he is tough. And he is not afraid to tell the truth and not afraid to be disliked. But this morning, what we have from Paul is very, very different. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he loves the church in Philippi. Compared to the rest of his writing, this letter is a love letter. It is soft and gentle. He's even kind of squishy about his love for them as he makes his way through this letter. He wants them to live and thrive because of their faith in Jesus. He thinks they can do it, and he wants them to do it because he loves them. And today, as we make our way to the end of the letter, as he's wrapping up this very short letter, he tells them, and he repeats even, some of what he's already said before, what he thinks they need to hear most. Earlier in the letter, he addressed, and then today he repeats, as he thinks about this conflict between two women. And it's clear here, as it was a week or two ago in the passage, that Paul wants them and us to be of the same mind. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. It doesn't mean that we are always going to agree on everything. Clearly, these two women are in the midst of some kind of very public conflict. And again, I'll ask you to imagine for yourself what it's like to have a disagreement with someone and have your pastor write it down. And for generations after you, people are going to wonder what it was and why it was pulling the community apart. But what Paul is really after here and what he's using them as an example for is the idea of, greater, of the greater good, the idea of unity. Paul wants them to remember that they have the most important thing in common. The thing that is more important than any conflict, than any idea, than any pattern or ritual or practice. He wants them to focus on the fact that Jesus is the center of their lives and of their community. And instead of focusing on their disagreement, he wants them to remember what they have in common. And he's worried because when conflict arises in community, it's very easy for that conflict to grow, for other people to pick sides, to form factions, and for people to choose conflict over unity, rather in the way that we choose idols over God. We get tied up in what's happening and what we think should happen, when instead we should be focusing on unity, on wholeness, and what we have in common. Paul knows that one of the greatest idols there is is individualism. The idea that our individuality is so important and our individual needs are so important that they come ahead of the communities as a whole. Paul knows that communities can only stay together given all of the temptation to fall apart through the big ups and downs of this life, rather like the season we're experiencing now, if the needs of the whole community come first, if everyone hangs on to God and to each other. My friends, for all of us in some way, this has been a very difficult season. And these last few weeks have been particularly difficult for this community. This weekend, as many of you know, I am burying two young men in private services. 
young men who grew up in this community, two of God's beloved, who both should have had so much more time. And in the midst of this grief and the rest of the challenges of this season, in the midst of our sadness, what our scripture has to say to us today in the face of loss and in the face of challenge is if we put God first, if we choose God over everything else, even if we don't think we're getting quite the feedback we want in the moment we want it, if we choose each other over ideas and preferences that we think will save us, if we choose other people's needs over our own, if we have a desire to be of the same mind, then we will be reminded over and over and over again that we have the most important thing in common. And we will come through this time together and have a vibrant life together on the other side. This week in your email, you should have gotten a note from Pam Ely encouraging you to take the spiritual life inventory that is part of our renewal works process this fall. If you haven't done that, please go ahead and do that today. Today is the last day. So please set aside 25 minutes today to go and do that and to help us prepare for the future. But also in that letter, while encouraging you to take the inventory, Pam also said that she didn't think there had ever been a time in the life of this community when this church has needed you more. I agree. This is a challenging, strange, and unwelcome season for all of us. And if St. Matthew's is going to continue to thrive and to do the work that God has given us to do the way that you always have, the way that we have together, then we need everyone, all of you, your heads and your hearts, your good ideas, your gifts, and your faithfulness. For some of you, this church has been a safe place for ages, for a very long time, where you've built long and meaningful relationships, a place where your kids grew up, or it's a place where your kids are growing up right now knowing that here in this space, they get to be just who they are and they're loved just for who they are. This is a place where you have met God and made friends and found companions on the road. A place where you have laughed and loved and worked and served. For some of you who are newer, you're still at the beginning of your life in this place, but I'm sure you will find what I have found in it, which is a group of faithful people with big hearts who want to walk the journey with you that God has given us. Together we find safe harbor and comfort in our pain. Together we laugh and learn and grow in our faith and together we serve the world around us. And all of that is still true, even now in our life together. For many of you, this place has continued to be a lifeline in these last seven months. So let us continue as we make our way through this strange and unwelcome season, to be of the same mind, constant in our loyalty to God and to each other, sure of the promises that God makes to us, sure of the promise even that all things do come to an end, and that there is life and wholeness meant for each one, sure that we have a role to play each of us in radical welcome and commitment to each other and in the holiness that comes when we choose to take care of each other, this morning, the text asks us to consider the idols in our own life and how they function. The practices, relationships, and ideas that stand between you and God. The things that tempt you to put your trust and your love there instead of where they belong. Are there things that you cling to and depend on? 
Are there things that stand between you and the God who loves you? The other invitation of these texts this morning is for us to consider the conflicts that we have with others in all of our relationships. What is preventing you from the health and wholeness of those relationships, of sharing the same mind that is in Christ Jesus? Paul reminds us that if we do that, if we choose God and we choose each other, then we will have the gift of rejoicing together, a gift that is unique unto itself. What is preventing you from rejoicing with your whole heart? Amen.